Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host, as always, Daniel Levy, your co-host, Shaq. We're going to be talking UFC Sao Paulo, Eric Anders versus Tiago Mahetta Santos. And Shaq, it's going down this Saturday in Brazil, another stacked card, and uh, it's going down, man. It's going to be a lot of action. Yeah, man, it's a great event. A lot of good fights from top to bottom. It's a super underrated card, man. So I'm very excited and uh, excited to get a win. Yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, just looking at this card, start to bottom, absolutely stacked, action-packed matchups across the board. But before we talk about that, there's two things we got to talk about, man. Obviously, yesterday, the man himself, the notorious Conor McGregor, made his return. A first press conference we've gotten in a long time, him and Khabib, uh, there was some pretty personal shit going on there, Shaq. Yeah, man. A lot of things are being said, and I'm I'm, and I'm glad uh, my boy Connor came back, man. Uh, the game needed him. He knows how to sell a fight. He just made that. Uh, he just guaranteed that that's probably going to be the, you know, the biggest uh, selling pay per view in the history of the game. And he showed everyone uh, why he's the best at promotion, man. You know, he said a lot of things about my boy uh, Putin and Kadyrov and Magomedov in prison and bezeling money and and. Uh, you know, a lot of things. So, you know, Khabib, he, he did keep his cool up there. But deep down, I know uh, those words were getting to him. But at the end of the day, he will have his opportunity to do something about it. So we'll see. Man, I was so yeah, glad was so that they didn't come to blows at the press conference because uh, some of the shit he was saying, other people would have lost their cool immediately. Like, you remember when Kevin Lee and Michael Chiesa and Kevin Lee made the little cute comment about Chiesa's mom and, you know, Chiesa... He's not, you know, he's not a professional. He missed weight his last fight also. And, you know, he wants to fight someone at the press conference. But we know when we're talking about world cal- world championship caliber guys like Khabib and Connor, they can keep their cool. They did keep their cool. And uh, it's going to be a very nice victory for whoever gets their arm raised in October, man. I mean, listen, the winner of this fight on October 6th is going to have some serious bragging rights. They're going to be the undisputed champion in the most talent-stacked division in the entire UFC. Not to mention, if we're being honest, Shaq, this is the money fight in the UFC right now. Yeah, 100%. This is the best division in the UFC, you know, the glamour division. I mean, that division is a gauntlet of guys. So to be the king of that division says a lot, and uh, the payday is going to be ridiculous. And, I mean, just the whole spectacle of it, man, the fight week with all those Russians down there. I'm sure they're going to have to be in separate hotels. And, you know, uh I'm, I'm glad Connor's back. We need this type of drama in the game. Absolutely, we do, man. Uh, he, he's been missed for sure. So before we break down this card, I wanted to talk about, I know this is an MMA show, but look, the Browns got their first win in over two years last night. And uh, what I was just wondering is why didn't they start Baker Mayfield from the jump, Shaq? You know, they got that culture in the NFL where they need to be babied in, but they don't understand my boy Baker's a different type of animal, and I'm glad they uh, got the win. But now we know he's going to be the starter moving on, uh, moving from here on out. But that was a great performance, and I'm glad they actually won a game. That was the first time they won a game in like two years. Man, it was so nice to see the emotion on the Cleveland fans' faces, man. Uh it was almost like they won the Super Bowl out there. That's the way they were partying and celebrating. So it was it was just a cool moment in sports to see the Browns finally get a win. I know my boy Tim Couch would be proud watching that. So it was awesome. But now, Shaq, we got to break down the Sao Paulo card. And starting off with some chalk, man. We got Livia Hinata Souza. She's minus 1,400. The comeback on Alex Chambers is plus 925. Now, we were really excited about Livia Hinata's original supposed debut against Jessica Aguilar, but you know she must have been super injured if she had to pull out of a fight like that. 
But now she's taking on Alex Chambers, and you know, Chambers is the kind of fighter. We faded her against a, a, a 4-0 fighter that had never been past a minute and a, and a half of the first round, and it cashed. Unfortunately, Olivia is minus 1,400, so... My question here, man, is, I mean, are you thinking a sub? Are you thinking a knockout? Are you thinking a 30-25? Or do you actually think there's a chance for uh, the underdog to get the upset here? Yeah, I mean, look, Alex Chambers is a nice girl, but I don't think this UFC thing's for her. You know, uh, she's, what, 39, 40 years old, somewhere somewhere around there. Um, but uh, she's a tough girl. You know, she's good at, you know, taking a beating. But, you know, Livia Souza, she should get this job, job done rather easily. I mean, you know, she is the Invicta champion. I know she does have that loss to Angela Hill. But my opinion, you know, that fight could have went the other way very easily. But uh, Livia is a black belt in jiu-jitsu, good mu- Muay Thai. I mean, uh, go watch her knock out Deanna Bennett. You know, she's that's not the only girl she's knocked out either. So I think uh, Livia will get a finish. Um Somewhere in that second round. I just don't think Chambers really belongs here at this point. Yeah, you know, it's funny to talk about how someone that lost to Angela Hill is minus 1,400, but you just got to understand the caliber of opponent she's fighting here in Chambers. And something about these smart girls, they're not cut out to be fighters. I mean, you remember that Rosie Sexton girl that would always get the shit being out of her inside the octagon, but apparently she was she was super smart too. She had a serious job outside the cage too, and so does Chambers. Uh, isn't she like an astrophysicist or some shit? So listen, after this fighting stuff doesn't work out, she can go back to having her her good job, and she'll have a nice career after that. She has options after the fight game, and for Livia Hinata Souza, look, she's a uh, she's what my boy Louis Smolka likes to refer to as a Thai Jitsu fighter. You know, she's got the Muay Thai, she's got the Jiu Jitsu, she's got the old school Brazilian style. She's probably gonna come in here and run through uh, Alex Chambers. I'm gonna say a submission. And next up in the welterweight division, we got Elizu Zaleski Capoeira. He's minus nine fifty. The comeback on Luigi Vandramini is plus six twenty five. Now look, man, the line's wide. We know Elizu's probably gonna whoop this kid's ass. But my question here is, man, is there any chance this is uh, the old classic letdown spot, or do you think Elijah's going to roll here? I mean, it definitely could be the uh, a letdown spot. Elijah's definitely risking a lot, considering, you know, he's finally in the top 15. But, I mean, he kind of has to take this fight because, you know, the UFC doesn't pay him any money, and they don't really care about him, so it's unfortunate. So, uh, hopefully, you know, after another stiff KO that uh, he can get the money that he deserves, but this kid that he's fighting, Luigi's not bad. I think he's got a bright future. I just think uh, it's going to most likely be a rough, you know, a rough uh, debut for the UFC, man. Uh, Eliza, when he looks into those eyes, a lot of guys, uh, as my boy Connor says, they turn into quivering cowards, so, you know... (laughs) I think uh, Eliza is just a better fighter overall, man. You know, of course, uh, his weakness is his wrestling, but it's improving fight to fight. And uh, his striking, I mean, we saw his last fight. He's got good distance as well. And, you know, now he's, uh, you know, spinning, head-kicking guys' heads off. So, you know, uh, I got Eliza by brutal KO here. But I think this Luigi kid will be back. Yeah, I mean, Eliza is obviously the pick here at minus 950. I just think the thing we really got to talk about is how disgusting it is that he's the second fight of the night. We're talking about Elijah Zaleski. Look, fuck the fuck the fact that he's uh, a top 15 guy. That That's not even what I'm referring to. This guy is the kind of guy that goes out there, puts his blood, his soul, his guts, his balls on the line every single fucking time. Has never been in a boring fight. And they're burying him second on the prelims? And, I mean, look, I get it. Uh, Luigi Vandermini, you know, who the fuck is that guy and all that. But, look, he was initially supposed to fight Bilal Muhammad, and that was still the second fight on the prelims. So, you know, my boy Zaleski, 
He needs better uh, management. He needs better representation because they need. He needs to get on that Justin Gaethje deal where they're like, "Look, man, pay me my show and my win up front because the way I fight, I put it all on the line every single time. This is the kind of guy that needs to be featured." So. Look, Luigi Vandermini, I think he's got a bright future too. I've seen him go out there and smash leg lock guys. I've seen him knock people out. I've seen him tap people out. Granted, it was against very low caliber competition, but he handled them all accordingly. This is such a massive step up, and he's probably going to take his first L here. He will be back. But as far as Elizu, USC needs to step up their game, man. What they're paying this guy is disgusting. Where they're putting him on their cards is atrocious. And the guy is going to go out here. He's going to have another highlight reel finish, and no one's going to see it. So it's a very sad thing going on for my boy Elizur Zaleski, and I hope they give him the respect he deserves. And it's going to be another uh, spectacular highlight reel finish. Now, next up in the middleweight division, we got Hector Lombard. He's minus 125. The comeback on Talis Leches is plus 105. So I got to know, man, you going with the guy on the six-fight losing streak in Hector, or are you going with the guy in Talis who announced that this will be his retirement fight? Yeah, man, Talos has had a great run. You know, uh, we did fade him his last fight against Jack Hermanson down there in Brazil. And, you know, Talos, uh, it's been interesting, man. He's definitely been on the, the decline since, the, you know, that hoorah fight against Bisping, man, you know, where, you know, a lot of people think it could have went his way. But ever since then, man, I mean, it's just been a, you know, steady decline. Um, you know, he was able to, uh, well, the Gegard fight was an hellacious beating. And then after that, you know, he was able to bounce back against Kamozi. But we, we know Kamozi uh, doesn't know how to stuff a takedown or have any jujitsu. So, you know, he was able to get that win. And then we saw Christoph Jaco go down there in Brazil and, you know, 30-26 him, you know, take him down at will. And, you know, I think Talos is just a case of father time, man. You know, uh, on the feet is just... God, when he takes punches, you know, he just reacts differently. You know, he is a tough guy. You know, he will do the uh, the Nova. He will, you know, stand up for himself at times. But eventually he will flop to his back the second he gets tired. And, uh, you know, the Alvi fight, I know he did beat Alvi. But, I mean, no offense to Sam, but Sam was being... Sam was being harmless in that fight, man. Sam was uh, the first low kick he ate. Sam was making faces and complaining about his ankle and not pulling the trigger. So, you know, I think uh, that was an easy game plan for But whenever Sam did let his hands go, I mean, we saw how hurt Talos would get. So, you know, I think Talos is in bad shape these days. You know, Brad, the Brad Tavares fight, another hellacious whooping. And then, you know, the Hermanson fight where he did get full mounted for the first time in his career and pounded out. So, you know, I know Hector's on a six-fight streak, but I definitely think Hector's got a a little bit more in the tank you know even though Hector's been losing his fights you know I can't necessarily necessarily say it's because gassing out I mean it's because you know he's old and he's fighting guys like Anthony Smith and I know he did lose to Johnny Hendricks but uh you know yeah, I, I think Tylus is a little below than those guys to be honest at this point I know he is big he does have the solid tie-up game but to take down Hector Lombard is a task in itself and I think it's gonna make uh Tylus have to win this fight on the feet and I just don't think that's gonna happen so uh, I got Hector Lombard by knockout and uh you know maybe that last fight against CB gave him a little confidence man you know I know he's not at ATT anymore he's uh doing some work at all-stars now so uh We'll see if the camp, you know, these camp changes, you know, at this stage in his career could maybe be a good thing for Hector. So I'm going to take Hector by knockout. I feel like in their primes, Hector would have knocked out Talos Latest. I mean, you remember the fight with Hector and Jake Shields. And at the time, Jake Shields was the tie-up artist in the welterweight division and the middleweight division. I mean, Jake Shields is a guy who he was top of the line in, in both divisions in his prime. I mean, just go, go back and look at his resume. And Hector Lombard was throwing him all over the place. 
Hector Lombard, even though he's a five foot eight middleweight, that judo base he brings to the table. I mean, the guy is a serious Cuban athlete, and not to mention his knockout power. You know, when he made a name for himself on that Bellator scene, he would go out there and knock dudes out in like six seconds. So Hector Lombard was one of the scariest guys around, and Talos Leitchis was always known for his jujitsu. He was known for being the first guy to. You know, I don't want to sit here and say that he gave Anderson Silva a tough fight in his prime, but Anderson Silva was known for knocking everyone out, you know, within the first three rounds, and Anderson actually went out, and uh, it went the five-round distance with Latest. It was just a bad stylistic matchup, but since that point, especially the last seven fights, Latest just hasn't been looking the same, you know, hence why he's retiring for this fight. The Alvi fight, he had the game plan to beat Alvi. Look, if you haven't figured out how to beat Alvi yet, all you got to do is leg kick the guy, don't get caught by his right hook, run run around the ring and avoid the fight completely. That's why when we get to this Noguera versus Alvi fight and we're going to talk about how Noguera has no leg kicks, it might actually work out for Alvi if it doesn't go to the scorecards. But as far as this one is concerned, for Talis to go in there and tie up with a guy like Hector, I know Hector's been tied up in the past when he's gassed against Yushin, against Bosch, but I feel like those guys had a little bit left in the tank at the time. I feel like Talis... Uh, the fact that he lost the last fight in his own realm, he's getting full mount down. I know Jack Hermanson has some of the best ground and pound in the middleweight division, and we're, we're going to see that on full display in his next fight too. But I'm just saying uh, that was very alarming to see from a guy like Talos Latest because you feel like his safe haven would be on the mat, and uh, it wasn't a safe haven at all. That's actually where he got pounded out, in his own world. Now, as far as Hector, you know, I have to assume a little bit, like you said, that his confidence probably is somewhat back because he did knock CB the fuck out. I know it was a DQ loss, but you know at least he knows like okay I can still drop these big guys and and put them out cold. So I, I think he's gonna do just that to Talis latest. I think it's gonna be a left hook, uh, right hand, and I think uh, Talis is gonna take a canvas nap. He had an incredible career. I tip my cap and I wish him the best in retirement. And next up we got a women's bout between Jillian Robertson. She's minus one fifty in the comeback on Myra Bueno is plus 130. Now, I think these two are going to scramble. They're going to have a nice grappling match. Uh, my question is, is someone going to get tapped out here, Shaq? Yeah, you know, this is going to be interesting because we know Jillian uh, likes to get things to the mat and get her submission, and she is improving fight to fight. She's got some good people around her. Um, you know, on tough, it's interesting. You know, my boy Eddie thought that when Jillian doesn't get her sub that she starts looking for a way out, and on tough, she uh, didn't get her sub, and Eddie said she was looking for a way out when she fought Honchak. But, you know, I kind of do think she was overwhelmed a bit. You know, uh, she was young, you know, fighting – I know Hanchak, uh, we like to give her a hard time, but, you know, that chick did have way more experience than her. And then ever since then, you know, she's been the underdog two times against uh, Emily Whitmire and uh, Meatball Molly. And she was able to get her submission. So, you know, uh, I definitely did think she made some improvements. But at the same time, I do think those chicks are um, a little bit uh, what we would like to refer to as jobbers, man. I mean... You know, uh, she was the underdog to both of them, but hey, she was able to get her job done. Now she's fighting this girl from Dana White Contender Series Brazil. And, you know, uh, a lot of people have always heard me say, you know, the, the females in the Brazilian game are always a little bit more fundamentally sound than, uh, you know, American girls and um uh, 
and elsewhere. But, you know, this Bueno girl is very limited things to watch. I do think she has the better stand-up. And I think uh, she might be able to cancel out Jillian's game on the mat. I mean, she also had a very nice submission uh, on Contender Series Brazil. But, you know, it's very 50-50. Both of these girls are improving. You don't know what you're going to get. But I'm going to go with uh, Myra Bueno for the upset. You know, I think she's going to, you know, uh, nullify Jillian's mat game and keep it on the feet and land, you know, some hard uh, high kicks, some body kicks. And, you know, land the harder shots throughout the three rounds. I kind of feel like I don't know enough about either girl. You know, I've only seen three fights from both. I've seen uh, from Jillian. I've seen, obviously, her tough fight against Barb Hontrak and then her two UFC fights. And, I mean, she's super overhyped, in my opinion. Look, she went out there and she finished uh, Molly the Can McCann. I mean, you know, congrats. <laughs> and she beat Emily Whitmire. And then she got broken against uh, Barb Hontrak. She got broken by someone that lost to Angela Magana. So, you know, I don't put any stock into that whatsoever, uh, that she beat Meatball Molly. If you haven't figured out how to beat Molly the Can McCann, uh, I don't know what to say. And as far as Myra Bueno, I don't know enough about her either because the footage I have seen, I mean, she just ran through these girls with her submission game. And that being said, though, you know, the fact that Jillian's going out there, she's tapping out these girls that have absolutely zero ground game. Well, now she's going to be met with a little bit of resistance because Maya Bueno, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say that she's the next Mackenzie Derner or anything, but I will say uh, she uh, she has a little bit more jujitsu than uh, Molly the Can McCann. She's got a little bit more jujitsu than Emily Whitmire. She's not 45 years old like Barb Honchak. She didn't lose to Angela Magana like Barb Honchak did. So I'm actually favoring Marina uh, Myra Bueno a little bit because I feel like if it hits the mat, Myra can defend herself or possibly even sweep and get on top and attack on her own. So that might cancel itself out. But then on the feet, I just feel like Myra's, uh, from what I've seen, I haven't seen enough, but from what I have seen, I feel like she's more fundamentally sound. I know people at ATT are high on Jillian. Yeah, they were also high on DeCasey, so I don't really care who they're high on. I just care about how the styles match up. And I might be completely wrong on this one, but I'm going to go with uh, Myra Bueno as well uh, for the upset in Brazil. And next up in the welterweight division, we got Sergio Serginho Moraes. He's minus 290. The comeback on Ben Saunders is plus 245. Now, Shaq, when this matchup was announced, I was also favoring Serginho. I just didn't expect him to be an almost 3-1 to one favorite. So what's your opinion on the line, and what's your opinion on the matchup? Yeah, you know, um, I see a lot of people saying Ben Saunders has never won a fight outside the USA. So, you know, maybe that's uh, why the line's so high. But, you know, uh, I guess the line's so high also because, you know, everyone knows that my boy Ben's uh, chin is, you know, a big liability. And as far as Serginho goes, you know, I think uh, I also think Serginho's chin's declining. I think both of them are in the decline. But I think Ben Saunders is a little more, you know, subtle in his decline. I think Ben knows what he is. He's still crafty. You know, uh, these last two fights, you know, the Japan fight and the um, Ellenberger fight, you know, those are spirited efforts. Now, Serginho's definitely not a quitter by any means. He's got those wins over Omari, Neil Magny, uh, Tim Means. I mean, he's got a serious resume, but I do think he is on the decline. Um, you know, his fight with Luan Chagas just showed that, you know, that was the first sign that, you know, his chin might not be the same anymore, but he was able to get through that one. Then he actually did get KO'd stiff by Kamaru Usman. And then, you know, that Tim Means fight, that third round, I mean, he was getting smacked around the place. And I thought he lost that fight, to be honest. Now, Ben uh, Ben has a tricky style, man. You know, even though he has no chin, 
you know, when he's at distance blasting you with those body kicks and those knees in the clinch, I mean, it's it's tough because, you know, the volume on those kicks are a lot, man. Uh, they can drain you fast. And if you d take a desperation shot, we already know what his ground game's like. And, you know, I know Serginho's a, a high-level black belt, but I, I really don't care. You know, Ben Saunders, I, I, I do respect his rubber guard to that extent. To, I think it could be effective against anyone. So, you know, it's going to be interesting. I think the line's way off in this one, man. I'm going to actually go with the upset in Ben Saunders, you know. I think Serginho's on the decline. I think uh, Ben Saunders has the better cardio between the two. I think uh, he's a little tougher between the two. Not saying that Serginho's tough, but, you know, I think also Serginho's punches, I feel like he has a tendency to just duck his head down and, you know, just trade wild hooks. I don't think they're very accurate. So, you know, I think uh, Ben could actually avoid getting knocked out on this one and making this ugly, man. I think uh, it's gonna he's going to get off to a slow start, but as it picks up, those body kicks are going to play a toll. And I could see him mixing in a left high at some point or if uh, Serginho wants to get in the clinch, getting need. So I'm going to take Ben Saunders in an upset. I'm going to come back the opposite way, man. I'm going to go with the favorite, Serginho Moraes. Look, I respect Ben Saunders a lot. And, you know, obviously his last fight he went out there and he smashed Yes Jake Ellenberger in the first round. But, you know, if you haven't figured out how to smash Yes Jake Ellenberger, then you probably don't belong on the roster. So I do think that that was, you know, a good win. But it was kind of an obvious win because uh, Jake's completely done. But I guess it wasn't that obvious because he was plus 160, right? So, But that being said, man, this shit is in Brazil. And I'm not going to put any stock into, oh, Ben Saunders doesn't win fights outside of the U.S. Because uh, as soon as he wins one fight outside of the U.S., uh, that myth will be busted, right? But as far as his matchup's concerned, I feel like Ben gets knocked out by non-KO artists. I mean, Peter Sabata's not a KO artist. I know people try to act like Patrick Cote's a KO artist, but between you and me, he's not a KO artist either. And uh, these guys are able to put down Ben Saunders. Now, Juban is a bit of a KO artist. Juban is definitely a very aggressive striker. So, you know, we'll give him a pass on that. But, I mean, that chin's been touched a million times. Let's go back to Bellator. You remember what my boy Douglas Lima did to him? You remember that left hook to the body right high kick? I mean, I know Ben Saunders. Actually, he probably doesn't remember that because he was concussed. But uh, I know we remember that. And uh, I think that Sergino is going to have a similar result here, man. Look, you mentioned how Sergino ducks his head and throws these big bombs. And, look, it's super ugly. And maybe... Ben Saunders could capitalize with one of those knees up the middle. He does have a very nice tie clinch dating all the way back to that Marcus Davis fight. I know you remember when he put the Irish hand grenade out cold, stiff on the canvas. You could even, <laughs> his fucking mouthpiece fell out. You could see his teeth. It was a very scary moment. But as far as this one, back to him ducking his head and throwing bombs, I think one of those bombs will catch Ben Saunders. And I think it's going to be a second round knockout for Serginho Marais here. Now look, if he swings as hard as he can and doesn't get the knockout, and then he starts, uh, you know, doing the gassed out Brazilian, shit could get pretty fucking interesting in that third round, but I've noticed my boy Sergino, when shit does get interesting, he does win the split decision in Brazil. You saw the Tim Means fight, you saw the Zach Otto fight, even the Zach Otto fight should have been unanimous, but the Tim Means fight, that was one where shit got very interesting, it got sketchy, but they gave him the split. And I think there's a chance they give him the split here if he doesn't finish uh, Ben Saunders. But I'm going to go with a second-round knockout for Sergio Sergino Marais. And I also feel like Sergio is a super underrated guy in the welterweight division. I know he's kind of old, but look, he's a guy that wins most of his fights. I believe he's 7-2 and two in the UFC. He finished Neil Magny in the first round. He finished Omari Ahmedov. So he beat Tim Means. I got a lot of respect for, for both of these guys, but especially Sergino Marais. And I, I think he gets it done here, second-round knockout. 
And next up in the heavyweight division, we got the newcomer Augusto Sakai. He's minus 210. The comeback on Chase Sherman is plus 175. Look, man, I know my boy Chase Sherman's been a bit of a punching bag. I know he doesn't like to move his head off that center line. I know his chin's been getting a little bit weaker each fight, but I actually thought he showed a little bit of improvement his last fight uh, against Justin Willis, man. But that being said, he's taking on the newcomer Augusto Sakai. You think his chin will hold up once again, or you think it's going to be another canvas nap? Yeah, you know, I think his uh, chin could probably hold up a little better in this fight compared to his other ones. You know, Augusto's, uh, you know, his activity rate's a little low compared to those guys, and he's really heavy, slow, and methodical style. But uh, Augusto wins the majority of his fights. His only losses by split to Czech Congo. And if you watch that fight, I mean, Czech was uh, stalling and stalling and stalling. Um, but uh, Chase, I mean, I, I do think he is making improvements, you know. Um, you know, I, I saw he weighed in at 257, you know, which is the heaviest he's ever weighed in at. You know, I was thinking he was going to try to weigh in light and run circles around this guy. But, you know, it seems like he's uh, trying to sit down more on his punches these days, um, you know. But I think uh, this fight will go three rounds, actually. I feel like it will be one of those heavyweight, not snoozers, but just with Augusto style. He's, he's really inactive and he uh, likes to take his time. But when he does let his let his techniques go, you definitely feel the weight behind him because, I mean, the guy is cutting the 265. He's huge. So I will go with Augusto Sakai by 29-28 on two cards, 30-27. Um, I just think Chase Sherman's head's his head's in the way too much, man. You know, I think uh, he tries to keep it together, but the second uh, things really hit the fan, he resorts back to his old tendencies, and I feel like he, you know, he'll get dropped in a round. I think he'll fight tough, but I just don't think he's going to win a fight down there in Brazil. And, uh... I don't know uh, if he's ever going to win a fight, period. So, you know, um, I'm going to take Gusto Sakai, but I do think this one will be uh, a little bit more competitive. Yeah, look, I'd love to see uh, Chase Sherman get back on track. You know, seems like a cool guy. He's exciting. Nice leg kicks. Had that war. Well, I say that war, but, you know, really he got his ass whooped by Justin Ledet for three straight rounds in altitude, and his head was a, was a punching bag. But... At least he didn't go down, but lately he, he has been going down. As far as Augusto Sakai, like you said, slow, methodical Brazilian. It kind of reminds me of like a heavyweight Luan Chagas in there, except that uh, he, he really doesn't have any urgency to finish the fight. Like he's the kind of guy that will hurt you on the feet and then shoot for that takedown and stay on top and kind of grind out the rest of the round. Hey, it's smart. I mean, he wins a lot of fights. Look at his record. He's only lost one fight uh, to Czech Congo, who basically – Czech Congo is very tough to beat in Bellator, man. Uh, he's got his grinding style down to a T, and he grinded out Augusto Sakai. And as far as this matchup, I just feel like Augusto is going to, you know, not necessarily put on an MMA clinic against Chase Sherman, but just be a little bit better in every single area and, you know, mix in the takedowns, land the harder shots. A, a knockout won't surprise me because Chase is there to be hit, but most likely a decision just because Augusto doesn't really seem to have that urgency. To, to finish fights these days. It might not even matter. I mean, we could say the exact same thing about Shamil. Shamil doesn't have the urgency to finish fights, and he finished Chase Sherman in under a minute. So a finish isn't going to surprise me here at all, Shaq, but I will go with the decision for Augusto Sakai. Now, next up in the light heavyweight division, we got Ryan Spann. He's minus 160. The comeback on Luis KLB Henrique is plus 140. Now, look, my boy Luis Henrique's making the drop to light heavyweight. I mean, he doesn't have to fight the Francis Ngannou's and the Marcin Tiburas anymore. Now he gets Ryan Spann. Who you got? Yeah, this is an interesting matchup. Enrique is dropping a 205. You know, my thoughts on Enrique's entire career have been, uh, you know, he's a Brazilian weasel that doesn't like getting hit. You know, um, the second you touch his chin, you know, he's like my boy Connor said, he's uh, 
he's reaching for the legs. He's, you know, hugging on for dear life. And I've always questioned his, uh, his mental toughness. Not saying, of course, you know, the losses to Francis and Tybor were, uh, you know, there's no shame in those at all. But, hey, that's who he was in there with. And I've always felt like when uh, Luis Enrique gets hit on the chin that he's been a little timid, uh, you know, to be efficient in the in the process, man. But, you know, he was able to get those wins over Christian Colombo, who's a complete can. Um, who's his other one against? Um, Dimitri Smoliakov. Dimitri Smoliakov. So, I mean, he's been two bottom-of-the-barrel, uh, you know, bumps, to be honest here. Now, uh Ryan Spann, this guy's really hit or miss. I mean, he's got several losses on his record, you know, uh, and this guy's really hit or miss. I feel like he's got all the athletic tools, but uh, you never know what you're going to get with this guy. You know, uh, we did see his contender series fight against Roberson, but then he came back uh, against Emiliano Sordi and got that knockout. And, I mean, that that was kind of laughable what Sordi was doing in there. So, you know, I really don't know how to gauge this fight because I, I just don't trust a guy like him, Luis Enrique. Just like I said, I feel like when he gets hit on the chin, he, he likes to close his eyes. He likes to make a lot of faces. But I do feel like he might be able to weasel down there in Brazil if he can get tie-ups against the fence, if he can avoid getting knocked out if he can you know get a takedown here and there keep it close you know he is a good weasel but i'm actually going ryan span here i think uh ryan span will be losing you know the first round you know first five seven minutes but eventually find a home for one of those left hands and uh put luis Enrique down you know i'm gonna go the opposite oh. way man i'm gonna take a klb Henrique. i kind of feel like ryan span is very lucky to be in the position he's in. I don't even think he should be in the UFC. I don't know if you saw that fight with Alex Nicholson, but that was some of the ugliest shit I've ever seen. And literally, it was Alex Nicholson teeing off on Ryan Spann to the point where, you know, we're screaming at the TV, stop the fight, stop the fight. And a minute later goes by. I mean, the ref in that fight, he makes Herb Dean and Mark Goddard look good. You know what I'm saying, Shaq? And we're screaming, stop the fight for a minute straight. He doesn't stop the fight to the point where Alex Nicholson punches himself out. And, uh, you know, Ryan Spann closed his eyes. He said a prayer. He landed one shot. And somehow Alex Nicholson went down, and that was the fight. And then after that, he got his shot on Contender Series. And he uh, finished that jobber in under 20 seconds. So, you know... I'm happy for the kid because he's had a long career and now he finally gets to make his USC debut, but I just don't think he's anything special. I think he's got skills, but man, his chin is so fucking bad. And I know Henrique's gotten launched by Nganu. I know Henrique got pounded out by Marcin Tibura, but look, these are monsters that weigh 265 pounds. Granted, they did diminish his chin and I wouldn't be surprised if he went down here either. But I actually think Ryan Spann's got the worst chin of the two. And I see this move to 205 being a good thing for Luis Henrique. And I actually see him coming out here, getting the win over Ryan Spann, most likely by knockout. So I'm going to go with Luis Henrique here. The next up in the lightweight division, we got Francisco Masuranduba Trinaldo. He's minus 230. The comeback on Evan Dunham is plus 190. Now, Shaq, I feel like in their primes, this would have been a super competitive fight. And it still might be. That being said, Evan Dunham did announce his retirement before this one. Uh... We've seen the trend with these retiring guys. It doesn't tend to go their ways, but Evan Dunham, he has this way of making these fights close, closer than they should be. He has this way of taking that ass whooping up front, coming back in that second and third round and making you be like, what does it take to put this guy away? So you think there's going to be another one of those situations or you think uh, Masaran Duba is going to get it done? Yeah, you know, like you said, Evan is that type of guy where, 
you know, a lot of people fade him thinking he sucks. And then, you know, when they get in there, they're in for a completely different story. But that last fight with OAM definitely was alarming. You know, he ate that body punch and he couldn't respond. And now he's retiring. Um, Francisco Trinaldo, one of the most underrated guys at 155. And uh, this guy's brutal, man. He moves forward. His punches, uh... His punches have serious sting on him. His kicks got serious sting on him. I mean, everything he does hurts. Now, Evan's more of the crafty guy. You know, I saw a quote where Evan said he's only watched maybe five minutes on Chinaldo. And I see some people saying it's a bad thing. But, you know, they got to understand Evan's a guy that's literally seen everything, man. He doesn't need to watch tape. You know, he could... uh He's probably one of those guys that can just go out there and fill things out. But, you know, um, I do think Trinado's the better fighter in every aspect, probably besides jiu-jitsu. You know, Evan's got a, a serious black belt. And, uh, you know, I just think that uh, Evan's going to try to, you know, box him from the outside, try to throw that uppercut slash jab. But uh, I think it's going to get countered with big left hands. I think uh, Chinado could also go to the body, not necessarily with the kick, but, you know, with a, a right hook to the body or something like that. And I feel like Evan, I mean, that might be enough to put him down these days. Who knows? Who knows what states he's in? You know, his last two fights with Benil and and uh, and OAM have been a lot of damage taken, a lot of blows taken. So, uh, you know, I feel like he could have got finished against Benil, but, you know, Benil was doing a little bit too much. Uh, but, you know, maybe a guy like Chinado can get him out there. But one thing I like about Chinado is, you know, I feel like uh, I guess his weakness allegedly would be his cardio. But I kind of disagree, man, because, you know, he won that third round against James Vick. You know, when he fought uh, Yancey Medeiros after trying to take Yancey's head up clean off after that second round where you would think the fight could get a little hairier like uh, when Alex Cowboy fought Yancey. You know, Francisco made an adjustment, said, you know what, let me just stick, stay on the outside, bounce around, still had the energy to bounce around, and he uh, won a decision. In the Kevin Lee fight, we know what he's capable of capable of offensively i mean he had kevin lee uh, doing the chicken dance all over the place in that first round but he got a little cocky dropped his hands and got caught with the head kick but i think he's gonna win this fight by unanimous decision i just think he's gonna be too brutal for evan dunham you know uh if dunham wants to get finished you know i wouldn't be shocked but you know dunham does have that way of making these things a little closer than uh, what they are but uh i'll take francisco chinado by ud yeah look there's yeah. a great matchup Francisco Trinaldo, he's one of the baddest 40-year-olds I know. I mean, the guy's a consummate badass. Haven't done him great career. Man, imagine how differently his career would have gone if he got that decision against Sean Shirk. You know, I feel like he was one or two fights away from a title fight at the time. Not only the Sean Shirk fight, what about if he would have got the Rafael Dos Anjos decision as well? You know, his career could be a lot different now. But instead, uh, he's going to be known as a top 15 gatekeeper. But man... Evan Dunham, hats off to him. Had a great career. I remember when he tapped out Efrain Escudero back back when it actually mattered, back when that meant something. So, you know, I got nothing but respect for the guy. Even most recently, that war with Benil. You know, we, we kind of should blame Benil a little bit because Evan kind of did go down in that first round and, you know, a couple follow-up punches and Benil could have sealed the deal there. But I don't know what the hell Benil was doing. He's moving around all over the place. He's missing his shots. It was just kind of like Benil. Like, what happened? Actually, I know what happened. Edson Barboza happened. But, you know, it, it's a sad thing, my man. But as far as his matchup's concerned, you know, we mentioned how Evan Dunham's been a little bit weak to the body recently. You know, not, not just the OAM fight. You can date back to the Edson Barboza fight. It's going to be a little bit tougher, like you said, for Francisco to get off on his left body kick just because it is southpaw versus southpaw. But I still think if he throws it, 
and uh, it hits the right spot. I, I think Edmund will definitely feel it. But I think a more likely weapon here will be the straight left to the body and then the overhead, the overhand left to the face. I mean, you remember when he hit Chad Lepre with that overhand and sent him packing. He made uh, my boy Chad Lepre pull guard. He made Chad Lepre move weight classes. So I just feel like in this spot, man, if Francisco doesn't get him out of there early, it does have the, the potential to get kind of ugly. It could be a back-and-forth fight if Evan can survive. I personally don't think he will survive. But let's say he does survive. I still see Francisco getting that decision in Brazil. I think he does enough to win at least the first two rounds. And like you mentioned, his last fight against Vic, he actually won the third round in that fight. And, you know, people criticize his performance, say he didn't pull the trigger. But, you know, it's kind of tough to pull the trigger against a six foot three lightweight. You know, I know I know Gaethje went out there and did it. Gaethje's a top six guy. So, you know, it is what it is. And plus, he's only, only two out of 15 people have been able to do that, right? So, it's nothing against Trinaldo at all. And Trinaldo also gave Kevin Lee a really good run. He was whooping Kevin Lee's ass till he got caught with that head kick. I feel like he got a little bit cocky in that fight because he was hurting Kevin Lee so bad. I'm not sure that Evan Dunham still has the durability of a guy like Kevin Lee to take that ass whooping up front and come back and win. There's only so many of those performances you can have. I feel like Evan's had enough. Great career. Tip my cap. But I'm going to go with Francisco Masuranduba, Trinaldo to finish Evan Dunham, send him off into retirement, and... uh Francisco will get another big fight after this. Next up in the lightweight division, we got Charles Dubronx Oliveira. He's minus 400. The comeback on Christos Giagos is plus 325. So is it going to be the Charles Oliveira sub or is it going to be the Charles Oliveira quit job? Yeah, you know, I'm leaning more towards the Charles Oliveira sub, but my boy Christos is looking good. You know, uh, looks like he's got those that black house. He's on that black house uh supplement program but uh you know charles Oliveira. but christo's main weakness his entire career has been the takedown the wrestling the jujitsu part of the game you know on the feet you know uh he doesn't really lose too many stand-up exchanges but we always know when you get on those legs christos always finds a way to go to his back so you know I th i'm thinking charles comes out here and gets the uh the early sub but you can never trust a guy like charles to be honest in my opinion just because you you never know what you're gonna get man you know the second things go wrong Charles, you never know. He gets hit to the body one time, he might take a knee. So, But I will take Charles by sub, but be very fucking careful. Yeah, I mean, Charles is a grade-A quitter, but he's also a grade-A submission artist. Uh, you remember that stunt he pulled against Max Holloway. I don't blame him. Hey, I'd take one shot to the body against Max Holloway. I'll pretend I have a torn esophagus, too. You know what I'm saying, Shaq? Uh, and then two days later on UFC Tonight, it, it, it turned out he was completely fine. That being said, uh, Christos Giagos, his weakness has always been Charles Oliveira's strength. I mean, you go back, you watch that fight against Gilbert Dorinho Burns. Christos Giagos was actually getting the better of the of the stand-up exchanges, and then uh, he hits the mat one time, and uh, that was all she wrote. You, you watch that fight with Chris Wade. Christos Giagos was also getting the better of the stand-up exchanges there, too. Then it hits the mat, and uh, he throws the fight away. So, you know, Christos is one of the, and he also got knocked out by Josh Emmett on the regional scene. Don't forget about that. But Christos is one of these guys where... You know, he's going to come out bombing, and he might actually hurt Charles early. You might be like, oh, Christos is going to get this upset. And then once Charles is dangling on the neck, it will be tap-tap city. It's just about if somehow Christos can weather that jiu-jitsu storm like Paul Felder did, like a bunch of these guys have, you know, like uh, Ricardo Lamas did. I mean, I could name so many people that have made him quit. I just don't think Christos has it in him, man. I understand the angle taking Christos because Charles has quit over five times. You know, dating back to the Cowboy fight, the Jim Miller fight, the Cub Swanson fight. I could go on for days. 
But that being said, I do think that when Charles grabs that neck, it's going to be over. So I'm going to go with Charles Dubronx Oliveira, but you cannot lay the chalk on a guy like this ever because, yeah, he's probably going to come out here and finish this guy in the first round with a submission. But every now and then he has that performance. You're like, are you fucking serious? Like, especially that Max Holloway one. I know it's Max. I know it's a pound-for-pound grade. I know it's a guy on a 12-fight win streak or whatever. But you get hit once with a straight-to-the-body then you grab your neck and take a seat one minute into the main event. You, you know what I'm saying? That's the kind of guy Charles Dubronx is. <laughs> that said, I, I still feel like he dangles off the neck. So I'm going to go with Charles Dubronx via submission. Next up in the strawweight division, we got Randa Marco. She's minus 110. And Marina Rodriguez is also minus 110. You got a striker versus a grappler here. Which side are you going with? Yeah, you know, Randa Marcos, uh, she does have the win-loss, win-loss thing going on. And, you know, I, I really don't put that much stock into it. Uh, I look at her win. She's being Liebarger, Juliana Lima, and uh, Carla Esparza, you know. And, you know, a lot of, you know, she beat uh, Tisha Torres and Felice Herrig in a tough house where plenty of some of the greatest names in the sport have lost fights to people that they shouldn't have lost to. But, you know, she beat Tisha. You mean the house, house. Where, uh, where Mike Ricci knocked out Neil Magny? Yeah, she, she won. She beat Tisha and Felice in a, in a, in not a, in an exhibition fight. Um, but, you know, Randa, I mean, she's a tough girl, experienced, definitely not a quitter. She's uh, got decent takedowns. Uh, on the feet, I feel like her striking defense is poorest. You know, I feel like her, her techniques are just low percentage. Uh, you know, she just likes to spam overhand rights, and she's real tense in there. I mean, that Grasso fight, she's trying to finish her in the first round, and then she, you know, exerts all her energy. And then, you know, the second round, Grasso handed her some takedowns. And, you know, in the third round, she gets another takedown, and then they get back up to the feet, and then she gives the fight away. Um and that's not the only time the Casey fight, you know, that stunt that, that she pulled there. But, you know, she's able to get these wins over, you know, Juliana Lima, who, you know, I've been on the record to say uh, is the most mentally weak girl in the division. And uh, Jocelyn Jones-Liebarger, who couldn't bust a grape. So, you know, I think Rand is a tough girl, but I do think she's she's plateaued out. I don't think she's making any improvements. I, I still think she's a tough girl. I think she's going to be, you know, one or two under 500. And as far as Marina Rodriguez go, I think this girl's got an elite skill. I think her Muay Thai uh, is a serious problem in this division that girls aren't used to. I think uh, when Randa tries to go grab that clinch, I think she's going to be in for a big surprise. I think uh, when Marina gets that plum knees and elbows are going to be fine even at distance i think it goes marina's way as well it's definitely going to come down to if she can stuff those takedowns but i don't think marcos has the uh, most accurate takedowns in the ufc i feel like they're all forced all strength and even if she got one i don't think she'd be able to get another one just like the andrew fight she did get one early but then she missed her next eight i think so you know i'm going to take marina rodriguez here by unanimous decision i think Rand is a tough girl but i think this girl marina is a girl to keep an eye out for i think her muay thai is elite in this division and there's not too many girls you see out there with a plum like that and throwing knees and elbows like that so i'm gonna take marina yeah, I'm, I'm going to tell Marina as well, man. Look, Randa Marcos, I actually felt like her peak was when she was on tough. I was actually very impressed with her on, on the Ultimate Fighter. But like you mentioned, that's the tough house. And, you know, people like Tisha uh, Torres, you know, she wasn't training at Anabolic Top Team for that one. And, you know, she got full-mounted super easily. But Randa hasn't been getting the same results. 
since she's been in the UFC, you know, she's win one, lose one, win one, lose one. I know she's coming off a loss, so everyone thinks she's automatically going to win here. But that's just stupid logic because you look at a guy like Andre Feely and Dan Hooker, and they were win one, lose one, win one, lose one. And then they, uh, now my boy Hooker, isn't he on a three-fight win streak now? I know Andre Feely should be on a three-fight win streak, but at least he got a two-fight win streak in there before he lost that controversial decision to Michael Johnson. So all I'm trying to say is that, you know, these patterns, uh, it, it really doesn't mean shit when analyzing the matchup. Now, as far as this matchup, look, striker versus grappler. Marina has a significant advantage standing. I mean, she's a Muay Thai world champion, and I know, I know that term gets thrown around very loosely, but she has very, very legitimate Muay Thai technique. I can attest to that. I, I'm, a, I'm a stickler for the stand-up, and I know what I'm looking at. She can fuck girls up standing, no doubt about it. You know, in the clinch, she reminds me of like old school Matt Brown. Go go back and watch Matt Brown versus Pete Sell. It's those it's that aggression, those elbows, those knees, devastating stuff. The question here is what happens if it hits the mat. So based off the evidence we've seen, you know, Marina Rodriguez, she is a purple belt. She has won some competitions as a purple belt. Also, she has been taken down in about in 2016, which is about two years ago, and in the first round. You know, she ended the round attacking arm bars off her back. And then in the second round, she actually finished the fight with a triangle choke. So I know she has that capability. Granted, that was against a bit of a can now against Marcos. I'm not sure if she'll be able to do the same things. But I have to assume within those two years that she has to have made some big improvements in that area. And taking her down isn't going to be that simple. It's not going to be as easy as just grabbing a leg like you did, like, you know, like Randy Couture did against James Tony. I don't think it's going to be that simple at all. I feel like in the clinch, Randa's going to have to eat some serious elbows. And they come from weird angles too, man. You look at one of those fights on the regional scene with Marina. She was almost throwing 12 to 6 standing. It was pretty badass. So... Randa also has a 25% takedown accuracy. So, you know, she's going to shoot for 16 takedowns and she might only get one of them. Now, my question is, if she does get that one takedown, does she stay on top? Does she neutralize a girl like Marina Rodriguez? But what I've seen from the past from Randa is that she's not really able to keep that top position. You know, I saw a girl like Alexa Grasso who has zero ground game get back up from bottom. And I've seen most of these girls get back up, even Juliana Lima, but Juliana just doesn't have that fighting spirit. I feel like Marina does. I feel like Marina's going to be super mean here. So while Randa might get a takedown early, I feel like the longer this fight goes out and the tougher this fight gets, the more it favors Marina. A stoppage won't surprise me just because the way she throws is super violent, You know, almost like a Yan Zona, not in the sense that she brings those sidekicks to the face, but just in the sense that she's a specialist at what she does. And if Randa tries to compete in that one area, she will get smashed. But it could also be a decision. Look, it is a chick fight. Striker versus grappler. It could take place in multiple areas. But ultimately, I see Marina winning this fight in Brazil. And I think she's someone you got to look out for in this division. Now, next up in... uh, I was going to say the Bantamweight division, but my boy Hennon Burrell missed weight by a mile. He weighed in at 141 pounds. We got Hennon Burrell. He's minus 160. The comeback on Andre Uhl is plus 140. You go with my boy Hennon the Baron, or you going with a newcomer Andre Uhl? Yeah, I mean, I think Hennon's a joke. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, now he's missing weight by six pounds, and we know what happened the last time he was having weight issues trying to make it to 135. He got his... Uh, head completely uh, smashed in against the fence against my boy uh, TJ Dillashaw. Um, but the thing is, you know, Andre Ill, he's not that good. 
You know, he's uh, his takedown defense is a little suspect. He is a pro boxer. He do- definitely does have power in his hands. He's a nice southpaw. And, you know, at this point, you know, I really think it really doesn't matter who Hennon's in there against. You know, I think, uh, you know, he his last one was against Felipe Nover. But, you know, a lot of things has ha- have happened since Felipe Nover, man. You know, he quit against Aljamain Sterling where he got completely broken. And then what about the Kelleher fight where we faded him uh, in Orlando? I mean, he got his he got his ass beat badly, man. He got dropped. He was wobbling all over the place. I mean, of course, the guy's naturally good. You know, he was trained at Nova and Yao. But uh, the guy's got no fighting spirit about him. The guy's got no heart, in my opinion. The second thing's when, when things get wrong, you know, Hennon checks out. And he does start doing the Nova. So I'm going with Ula with the upset. I think Hennon... I think this might be his last fight in the UFC or, you know, second to last fight in the UFC. I think this guy's on his way out. He's been on his way out. I mean, I mean, the guy's been done for a long time. So uh, just like how la- before the last fight, when they were saying no way he's going to lose to a guy like Keller, you know, Kelleher was on the local scene losing to Andy Main when Hannon was champion. Now, uh, I don't even know if Andre Ull was a pro when Hannon was champion, but now you're going to see Andre Ull come out here and knock Hannon out. I think this guy... Uh, I mean, you know, the missing weight, if it's a tactic, you know, if he gets away with it, then congrats. But this guy's this guy's done. He's had enough. It's so funny it's so when I hear people talking about how, oh, Hennon missed weight. It's going to be like Tysonov. It's going to be like Prezeris. It's like, guys, <laughs> Tysonov and Prezeris have life left in the tank. Tysonov and Prezeris, at least Tysonov's in his prime right now. I know Prezeris is a little bit older, but he's still fighting like he's in his prime. He doesn't take any damage at all. As far as my boy Hennon the, the Baron's concerned, Tell me when the last time this guy looked good was. I'll tell you, 2014. <laughs> Over four years ago was the last time that my boy Hennon the Baron looked good. Let's talk about his last two wins. He beat a male nurse in Felipe Nover, and he beat a, a French quitter in Mitch Gagnon. So to me, I just uh, I don't put any stock in those wins. But then again, Andre Uhl has been beating a bunch of cans too. Andre Uhl has been getting finished by cans too last year, the year before. You know, Andre Uhl is nothing special at all, but he has one thing going for him that Hennon doesn't. He's, you know, I know he's 30 years old, but look, he's got this youthful energy about him to where, you know, he's not a shot fighter. He at least wants to be there. He wants to make a name for himself. He wants to stand and bang. Now, I know people are saying that, look, if Hennon wants to get this fight to the ground, he can get it to the ground super easily. Maybe that's true because Andre does have some shitty takedown defense. But I just haven't seen that shot from Burrell look good in years. I mean, maybe not since the Michael Johnson fight. Excuse me, the Michael McDonald fight. Maybe not since even the Mitch Gagnon fight. That was ugly as fuck, man. And it's been it's been getting progressively worse and worse and worse. And him missing weight by, you know, a million pounds, that wasn't strategic. The guy's completely done. I mean, there's a reason the Aljo fight was at 140 pounds. And I hear some people talking about how, oh, he took down Aljamain Sterling. No, he didn't take down Aljamain Sterling. Let's talk about what really happened in that first round versus Aljamain Sterling because I want people to know. Do you remember when Tomas Almeida fought Brad Pickett? Brad Pickett tried to be cute and throw a flying knee. So uh, Tomas Almeida was like, oh yeah, I'm going to throw a flying knee right back at you. So he did throw a flying knee right back at him and he knocked him out. So what happened between Barrow and Aljo was that Barrow tried to throw you know, a cheeky front kick to the face, you know, almost like a side kick. He tried to get a little cheeky in there. So then Aljamain was like, oh, yeah, I can throw one of those too. So he goes in there, tries to throw a front kick to the face. He actually slips. He falls on his back, and then Burrell gets on top, and he stays on top the rest of the round. Now, people act like that was some takedown. It wasn't a takedown. It was really Aljamain. You know, he was he was 
being like, oh yeah, motherfucker, you was trying to one-up Hennon Brown because Hennon tried to get cheeky with a, with a kick in there. The thing with Andre Wool is I don't think he's going to be trading kicks. The guy's a boxer. So I just feel like when he hits Burrell's chin, uh, you know, my boy Burrell does not react good to getting hit anymore. You know, guys like Kelleher, you know, I respect Kelleher a lot. Very, very tough guy. But we always said Kelleher was a bit of a journeyman. You know, Kelleher got finished in the first round by my boy Marlon Chito Vera less than a year prior to, to his bout with Hennon Burrell. So the reason I bring that up is because Andre Wool was getting finished about a year ago by guys on the regional scene as well. So... You know, it's just a matter of when when someone's done, they're done. And, and Burrell's not just, you know, kind of on on the border of being retired. He's not kind of just on the cusp. No, he's been done for like over four years, my man. I mean, TJ Dillashaw set a significant strike record on his face twice. Jeremy Stevens, you know, if Jeremy Stevens can't knock you out, uh, all that damage he's landing over three rounds, that's going to add up on your chin. And then you have that shitty performance against the male nurse Nover. Then Brian Kelleher puts the icing on the cake. Oh, let's not even let's not let's not forget about the Aljamain Sterling beatdown. When it's over, it's over, man. And going into this fight, I was like, oh, Burrell could so get back on track because this Andre Uhl guy sucks. But then you watch Burrell, and it's like there's literally nothing left. So I can't pick a guy that has nothing left. And I know at one point. Maybe not by us, but by other people. He might have been considered the number one pound-for-pound pound fighter around. At that point, he was fucking 32-1, Shaq. 32-1. That's 33 pro fights. Since that point, he's gone 2-5. It's over now. I got Andre Uhl by knockout. Now, next up in the light heavyweight division, we got Smiling Sam Alves, minus 360, the comeback on Antonio Rogerio Nogueira is plus 300, so... We know the game plan to beat Sam Alvey. You got to leg kick this guy. You got to not get hit on the chin. You got to tie him up against the fence for three straight rounds. Look, this fight goes to the scorecards in Brazil. It could get interesting. The question is, you think my boy Lil Nock can avoid that right hook for three rounds? Yeah, it's going to be interesting because uh, with Alvey moving up to 205, it seems like his output's a little higher. I know he did knock out... uh, Prachnil, who's uh, probably going to get cut here in a second, and then he beat John Volante. You know, I, I see people thinking Volante won that fight. I mean, yeah, right. But, um, you know, Alvi's output is a little a little higher now, you know, uh, but he's still got the same strategy. And little Nog, you know, he really doesn't possess the kicks. He really doesn't possess the tie-up game. I mean, he's a, a boxer. And, you know, eventually I think uh, at this stage, how old is he, 42 years old? I think uh, it could be, you know, depending on the type of Alvi that shows up. I mean, I don't want to say you never know what you're going to get with Alvi, but his style can be a detriment at times. I mean, he has lost to old faded Brazilians before, so it's a little interesting. But I do I do got Alvi here. I think when he does find a home for one of those haymakers, that uh, little Nog will fill it. And when you wobble in front of Sam Alvi, he, uh, he will get you out of there. So I got Sam. Yeah, it's an yeah. interesting fight. Again, because with Sam, when fights go to decision, it doesn't matter who you are. Shit gets close. I mean, Rashad Evans is going to split with my boy Sam Alvey not too long ago, right? So as far as what kind of kicks my boy Lil Nog brings to the table, it's not the leg kicks to beat a guy like Sam Alvey. It's actually more like a snap kick, like a front kick like he did against Rashad Evans. I don't think that's going to be able to win the decision here against Sam Alvey. I feel like for him to win, he's got to pin him up against the fence. He's got to avoid that right hook. He's got to use a game plan that he's never used before. I see him running into the right hook of Sam Alvey. I think it's going to be a vicious KO. But 
if my boy Lil Nong survives and this does hit the scorecards, it will get interesting just because Sam Alvey, you know, I know he's won a lot of decisions lately, but they've been super close. I mean, I thought he beat Volante's ass personally. I thought, you know, that was a 29-28 for Alvey. But the fact that all these fights where he goes to decision are all split is kind of scary. And then he lost that decision to Tom Watson in his debut. I know that was a long time ago, but... Tom Watson laid the blueprint on how to beat a guy like Sam Alvey. Now, some people have been able to follow it. You know, even Elias was able to, you know, tiptoe around the around the cage and, you know, land some kicks at the air and pretend like he was doing something and win that decision. So, it is possible. But I'm going to go with Sam Alvey via knockout. Co-main event of the evening. We got Alex Cowboy Oliveira. He's minus 450. The comeback on Carlo Pedersoli Jr. is plus 360. Now, Shaq... We had successful max bet winners on both of these guys in their last fights. Alex Oliveira against Carlos Condit, Carlo Pedersoli against Brad Scotch. Now they're fighting each other. I got to know, man. I mean, you think uh, my boy Carlo Pedersoli can rise to the occasion, or is this too much too soon? Carlos, uh, Carlos going to be a great contender down the line. You know, uh, it's a definitely a big step up in competition from Brad Scott. I know Brad Scott was juiced out of his mind down there in, uh, in England, but Carlo was able to adjust. You know, he did get dropped in the first round, but I mean, I thought he was winning the entire fight besides the, besides the knockdowns. Um, I mean, he mixed in the takedowns. He showed his uh, wrestling. He showed his jujitsu and his striking. I mean, he's a deceptive southpaw. You know, he likes to throw punches leading into kicks and he gives you a lot of different looks and Alex Cowboy you know I feel like uh, Alex is very loose I feel like he's you know all strength uh you know he's everything he does hurts but you know uh the technical side of things I, I do feel like he's lacking a little bit but he likes to use brute force and brute strength to uh you know defeat his opponents I mean this guy's takedowns hurt his knees hurt his punches hurt his kicks hurt so I mean we saw what he did to Ryan LaFleur we saw what he did to Condit on that up kick we saw you know how he uh set up the retirement for James Montasher. You saw what he did to Will Brooks. I mean, this guy's got a serious resume. Um, but, you know, the one fight he did lose in that stretch was to Yancey Medeiros. And, I mean, we know he took Yancey lightly. I mean, he was uh, saying shit like, uh, why am I fighting this guy? And, I mean, I don't know if he's uh, learned his lesson, but, I mean, it's kind of similar to think the same thing here. You know, he was supposed to fight Neil Magny. That was his ticket to the top ten. And now he's fighting a guy with one fight in the UFC. So this is a letdown spot. And, you know, Carlo's uh, got the skills to get this job done. But, you know, it's kind of hard to predict how Carlo's going to react to these shots because, I mean, this definitely will be the hardest he's ever been hit in his life. And Gallus Cowboy has a tremendous amount of experience. So, Therefore, I got to go with Alex, but I think this one could get sketchy, man. I think Carlo's going to make it the three rounds, um, you know, but uh, I think this line's off. You know, they got Carlo at almost four to one, so it's uh, we'll see how Carlo does, but uh, I got to go with Alex just because, you know, he is the better fighter. It's one of these things where it's like, I'm not sure if Alex is the better fighter, but he's definitely the more experienced fighter. He's paid his dues more in the UFC. And right now, he might be too much for a guy like Carlo. But Carlo is a very talented kid. He's only 25 years old. He's super well-rounded. He's got heart for days. I love this kid, Carlo Petersoli. And I hope he comes out here and gets this upset. But even if he takes a setback here, I still think he's a guy you got to look out for. I still think he's a guy that's going to come back and win a lot of UFC fights. Like I said, he's only 25 years old. He's just a kid. And a lot of these fights he's been having are on short notice. You know, 
all his high-profile fights were, you know, his fight with Nick Dalby and then his fight with Brad Scott. They were within a month of each other, Shaq, and this one's short notice too. So really this year is the year that he's made a name for himself. Prior to that, he was just fighting guys on, you know, the Venator local scene. But what he's done, man, in his last few fights, uh, I've been very impressed, man. I mean, obviously the southpaw stance. He's got a nice left hand, mixes in the kicks. He's got takedowns too. On the ground, I've seen him go for unorthodox submissions. Like he went for a rolling calf, a rolling uh, calf crush against uh, Nick Dalby. Hey, Nick Dalby beat Zaleski. Nick Dalby went to a draw with Darren Till. Carlo Pedersoli beat Nick Dalby. Carlo Pedersoli beat Brad Scott's ass when Brad Scott was uh, juiced to the gills, juiced to the point of no return, juiced to a point where he was getting hit with high kicks flush, and he was smiling and uh, and taunting Carlo. So. You know, Carlos is a very tough guy, but now this is a whole nother experience going down to Brazil and not just fighting in Brazil, not just, you know, you can barely cut weight there because they don't have hot water. The fans are screaming at you. They hate you. You're a plus 360 underdog. You're fighting the most physical guy in the division. I mean, when Alex Cowboy gets in that clinch, man, he's one of the most brutal physical guys around. Those knees are absolutely devastating. His body lock takedown hurts. I mean, he just slams guys. But Alex Oliveira also makes a lot of mistakes because his fighting style is not really based off technique. It's based off, like you said, brute force, his power, his strength, his physicality. I saw Alex Oliveira get double-legged by Carlos Condit. I've seen Oliveira tap to a triangle that's not even locked in against Cowboy Cerrone. I've seen a lot of questionable shit from Alex Oliveira. But the reason that he's got such a good UFC record is he's able to make up for his fault with his with his physicality, man. I mean, you see the way he's bouncing up and down on his feet. I'm just scared of that motherfucker. You know what I'm saying, Shaq? Like, he's if if I was managing these guys, Alex Oliveira's the last guy that we want to that we want to take a short notice fight against. But that said, it won't surprise me at all if Carlo gets this victory, just because. Alex has so many what-the-fuck moments in his fights. Like his, his debut against Gilbert Torino, he's beating the shit out of him. Then third round, gets taken down, gets subbed. So, you know, even even the Tim Means fight, the first one where, you know, he pulled that quit job. Hey, he was able to get a no contest out of it. I mean, he got knocked out by Tim Means the first time. Hey, he came back the second time and finished him. So Alex is really unpredictable. But one thing that I know he's going to do, I know he's going to pin Carlo up against that fence. I know he's going to land those devastating knees. And I don't know how Carlo's going to respond to it. But I know Carlo's a super well-rounded guy. I know he's a tough guy. I know he's got a path to victory in this fight. But I think it might be a little bit too much too soon. I don't blame anyone for taking the shot. Look, at this price, it's dog or pass at plus 360. No doubt about it. I'm going to lean with Alex via decision in Brazil. But if you go out there and you cash uh, you know, an underdog play on Carlo, that would be super sharp. But regardless, keep your eyes on this kid. He will be something to look out for in the future. Main event of the evening, we got Tiago Maheta Santos. He's minus 160. The comeback on Eric, your boy Anders, is plus 140. Shaq, uh, you going with Tiago Maheta with a brutal body kick, or do you think my boy, your boy, is going to make it two in a row? Man, this is a great fight. I'm actually preferring this uh, this fight compared to the original matchup. Uh, no offense to my boy Jimmy Manoa, but... Uh, you know, I'm thinking Tiago's moving up to 205 because, you know, he saw Anthony Smith move up to 205 and change his life. And we know uh, what he did to Anthony Smith. And not only what he did to Anthony Smith, I mean, we saw what he did to my boy Jack Hermanson down there in Brazil. I mean, he put Jack in the ground. We saw what he did to GM3 uh, in L.A. 
I mean, he, he fucked GM3 up badly. So this guy, Tiago's got a serious resume, not just him, Marshman. And uh, Anders, you know, this guy's got a lot of potential. You know, I know uh, we know about his football background, um, that devastating power. I know he's Rafael Natal. You know, I, I knew that guy was done. But, hey, at least he uh, treated him accordingly. And, you know, his last fight, a lot of people giving him, uh, you know, bad credit. But, I mean... That was a uh, a risky fight to take, man. You know, Tim Tim uh, losing to Tim Williams, just like Peter Yan last week. You know, when guys are minus one thousand, I mean, sometimes these things can get a little sketchier than what you think because it's not a first round knockout. But you know, Tim uh, at the end of the day was you know out unconscious, and now Anders is moving up to two hundred five. So I'm interested to see what uh, who the weight cut affects better because I know both of those guys cut a tremendous amount of weight. Um, you know, I definitely think Eric has the better chin of the two. I think, uh, you know, early Eric might be a little stiff. He might be uh, a little prone to getting caught. And that could definitely not be a, a good thing against a guy like Tiago Mata Santos that's put several people down. But I think uh, if the fight progresses, you know, I feel like Tiago has the tendency not to necessarily be a quitter. But I feel like when Tiago gets hit on the chin, uh, he'll go out stiff. And, you know, uh, I think Anders is the mentally stronger of the two. And I don't mean that uh, in any disrespectful way to Mahetta, because I do think he's, uh, I do think he's a tough guy, but I'm actually going with Anders for the upset. I'm going to say a second or third round KO. You know, I feel like neither guy is going to be able to get consistent takedowns. I think if anyone did get takedowns, it'd probably be Mahetta Santos. But I think uh, Anders is just the more efficient fighter throughout the, throughout the fight, especially a five round process. But I don't think they're going to need five rounds, but uh, Anders has got a, a better chin between the two. You know, although he was eating those shots against Tim, you know, he wasn't really faced by him. You know, uh, Mahetta, Mahetta, you know, he's got the path to victory with that body kick. He's definitely more experienced, but, you know, uh, I'm, it's a, it's 50-50, man. I'm really interested to see because both these guys are moving up in weight. And, you know, when guys are moving up in weight, I like to sit back and just watch to see uh, – who it affects better, but it's both of them are moving weight. So, you know, I feel like Tiago had the advantage over Manuel for sure. But uh, this one's going to be interesting, but I'm going to go with the, your boy, Eric Anders. Man, Tiago Maheta Santos is one of the scariest guys on the entire UFC roster. When you get that call that you have to go inside the UFC's octagon and face a guy like Tiago Maheta Santos, you have to know right away that, hey, there's a chance I might get knocked out in this fight. Just... It is what it is because when Tiago Santos wins fights, most of the time he wins via devastating, vicious KO. And I mean, we've seen, we've seen the body kicks, we've seen the head kicks, we've seen the punches, we've seen the spin kicks, we've seen it all from Tiago Santos. And offensively speaking, man, if this guy had a chin, he could be a fucking world champion right now. But every fighter has a weakness, every fighter has a flaw, and with Tiago Santos. It's 100% his durability. I mean, dating back to his UFC debut, you remember when my boy Cesar Mutanchi uh, launched him and then got him in that guillotine choke. And, you know, every now and then, Tiago Santos just gets floored, man. I mean, you saw the fight with Musasi. You saw the fight with David Branch. But then you see some of his highlight reel wins, and he absolutely runs through a guy like Jack Hermanson. He absolutely runs through a guy like Gerald Mershart. He absolutely destroys a guy like Anthony Lionheart-Smith. Jack Marshman. I mean, we can go on. So 
Maheta is a very unpredictable guy. I just know when he wins fights, it's devastating. Elias Theodoro. <laughs> Elias Theodoro. Oh, he, he, uh, he left a vagina on Elias Theodoro's forehead. I just know that when Tiago Santos wins fights, it's absolutely devastating. And when he loses fights, it's absolutely devastating. One thing about my boy, your boy, even though he's a little bit raw, even though I don't want to call him green because he is experienced at this point, but he's a little bit more green than a guy like Tiago Santos, Eric Anders can take a shot. Eric Anders is super durable. Eric Anders is kind of a freak athlete. And, uh, man, his last fight, I know he gets a lot of shit for it. But the reality here of fighting a guy like Tim Williams in that spot, you know, Tim Williams fucking, I mean, he needed that shit badly. He quit his job. He did the whole bit. You know what I'm saying? He came into that fight a hungry man. And all he, look, people act like Eric was on the verge of losing that fight. He lost one round. He won the second round. He knocked him out in the third. So even if that had gone the full three-round distance, he would have won the decision, no doubt about it. So, you know, people acting like he was on the verge of losing, calm down a little bit. You're exaggerating. He was not on the verge of losing. He just lost the first round. That happens sometimes. Now, as far as this matchup's concerned, if Eric is as durable as I think he is, and he can eat these body kicks, block these head kicks, and potentially block these punches as well, I think that he might find an opening for his left hand. And I do think that if his left hand lands on Tiago Maheta Santos, he will put him out cold, man. So either guy is going to get knocked out. You know, there's value on inside the distance on both sides. But I'm going to go with my boy, your boy. I think he knocks out Tiago Maheta as well. I think it's a letdown spot for Maheta. And uh, I'm going to go with my boy, your boy. Well, now we got to hit up Kyle Marley for the Big Marley Minute. And joining us now on the Big Marley Minute. Is Big Marley himself, Kyle? What's going on, man? Not much, man. Ready for some fights, win some money. We got some floor seats available on DraftKings for only a thirty-three dollar entry, so I'm trying to win them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that sounds like a good time to me. You know what sounds like an even better time? Eric Anders is taking on Tiago Maheta Santos. I mean, this this initially started off as Glover versus Manua, then it was Manua versus Maheta. Now it's Maheta versus Anders, and all of these fights would have been great. I honestly think that this one might be the best out of, out of the, the trio of fights they had, man. Uh, Eric Anders versus Tiago. I know for a fact someone's going down. The question is who. So how, how are you strategizing this on DraftKings, man? You playing a little bit of both, or is there a side you like specifically? Yeah, I'm going to play a little bit of both. And, I mean, we, we better hope that someone goes down in this because if they don't, this is going to be a terrible main event. If it's anything like Anders' last few fights, if he's just going to hang out too long on the on the outside and circle around and just be boring for 25 minutes then this is going to be real upsetting however i just don't think that happens and the fight doesn't go to decision line is minus 550 so you kind of just have to take shots on both sides but my preferred play is going to be eric anders here because you have to have the dogs i think he could end it in the first round uh he also has the takedown potential he could end it on the ground with some ground and pound and uh 7.6K, I like that in my lineup. So if you can get 100 points out of a 7.6K guy, you have a shot at winning a GPP. So Anders is going to be my play here. But if you're making multiple lineups, you definitely have to have shots on both guys. Alex Cowboy Oliveras taking on Carlo Pedersoli. It's an interesting matchup. Uh, obviously, Carlo, obviously Alex is a big favorite in this spot. But Carlo, he's a young, hungry, dangerous kid. So... I mean, what do you think, man? Are you uh, going to put Alex in a lot of lineups, or do you think Carlo can potentially last the distance and score some points? Uh, Cowboy's my pick, but this is actually my fight of the night right here. I think this is going to be the funnest fight on the card. 
and I think it's going to score highly as a whole. I just think Oliveira is going to win in a decision. So, uh, I mean, he can score super highly in his loss versus Yancey, a loss. He scored 80 points. So uh, he just has such a high pace that he's going to put the pressure on Pedersali, and he's going to make them both fight at a high pace, and they're going to score some points. So I like both guys in this one, Pedersali, because he's 6,900, and that's not going to kill you if he loses a decision. If he can get 40 points in a decision, that's pretty solid. Uh, but the pick is going to be Cowboy. I just can't have him in more lineups than uh, our top price lady that we'll be talking about later. So I know Kyle Marley likes Brazilians in Brazil. We got Lil Nog taking on Alvy. I know Lil Nog came through for you against Pat Cummins as a dog. He's a dog here again against Alvy. If this fight goes to the scorecards, man, it could be pretty close because you know how Alvy fights. But that said, do you think that uh, Noguera is going to be able to last all three with him? Uh, man, if he can last all three and make it even a close fight, he's probably going to win a decision because it's in Brazil. But... I just think Alvy's the better fighter at this point. It's probably going to be too clear if it does go to a decision. Um, and I, I am worried about that one shot from Alvy. But I just don't play Sam Alvy in DraftKings. He's he's too too slow of a fighter. He's not going to score high unless he gets that knockout. So I fade him pretty much every single time. So my play here would be Nogueira if you're going to go with one of the two. Uh, it's just hard to see him winning a fight at this stage in his career. Henning the Baron Barrow, he's taking on the newcomer Andre Uhl. Interesting matchup. Uh, we know Henning Barrow has fallen on some tough times. The question is, has he fallen enough to lose to a new guy like Andre Uhl here? That is the question. I mean, this is the hardest fight on the card, in my opinion. Um, and I've switched my pick a few times this week. So I really have no strong read. I think the way to play it is if you do have a strong read, put your guy in there because uh, I think this fight will go overlooked. And I actually am leaning Barrow because I think he's going to go more overlooked. Everyone's going to be fading him, especially at $8,500. So just as a sneaky GPP play, I like Barrow. Maybe he can get this done in Brazil by a submission uh, and nobody will be on him. But I don't know. I think UO could be a tough fight for him. So it's hard to trust Barrow at this stage in his career. Uh, If you like UO, I think he's a good play as well. I just think Brown might be that sneaky guy who could win a GPP. Random Marcos is also welcoming a newcomer in Marina Rodriguez. They got it a dead pick right now. I think it's a striker versus grappler type situation. So which side are you leaning towards? Yeah, man, it's definitely the striker versus grappler situation. And I'm going to lean towards the striker. I just think Rodriguez is going to put up the higher pace. Um, even if Marcos is getting her down to the ground, I think she can maybe get elbows from the bottom. Just keep it active enough, throwing up some triangles. So where she can even win long enough to get back to her feet and still get a decision that way. I just don't think Marcos has a shot of finishing this fight, uh, and Rodriguez does. So I would rather have the ceiling of Rodriguez. But this is a solid fight for cash, whoever you like, because it's probably going to a decision, and they both have high floors. So uh, plug them in for cash, and then that way you can get some higher favorites in there. But you have at least a solid 40 or 50 points, I would think, uh, and even a loss in this fight. 
Francisco Masuranduba Trinaldo. He's taking on Evan Dunham. Evan announced before this fight this is going to be his retirement fight. We know Evan has a knack for making these fights super close. You remember the Rafael Dos Anjos fight, which was in Brazil. You remember the Benil Dariush fight. But Francisco Trinaldo is a guy. He's won eight of his last ten fights. So I got to know, man. Do you think the minus 230 price tag is accurate? Or do you think there's some value on the dog here? Uh, man, this is one where I... I love picking both of these guys in betting and in DraftKings. So this is a tough one for me because I love Ternaldo in Brazil, first of all. But if this wasn't in Brazil and Dunham didn't announce his retirement, I'd probably be on Dunham at this price. Um, but it is in Brazil, and he did announce this as a retirement fight. So that makes me lean towards Ternaldo. Uh, But it's just one of those where I want exposure to both sides because Dunham has – the potential to put up a hundred points and even a decision um, win that is. So at 7,300, that's going to win a GPP if he can do that. So I have to have a few shots of him. Um, but Ternaldo's the pick here. And I just think he's going to be a little bit too much for Dunham. Um, we've seen Dunham get hurt to the body multiple times. And Ternaldo, I, I think is going to end up doing that again at some point. So higher ceiling actually in my mind is Ternaldo uh, just because the whole retirement thing. Dunham has taken too much damage. Really can't take too much more damage, it looks like, at this point in his career. So I'm going to go ahead and take Tornado, but I want shots on both these guys. So Chase Sherman, he's making his return, and he's welcoming another newcomer in Augusto Sakai. I mean, it's been a trend here, man. There's been a lot of Brazilian newcomers on this card. So I got to know, are you going with uh, Augusto Sakai, or do you think Chase Sherman's going to get back on track here? Uh, I'm going to go with Sakai, but I think he might go a little bit too overrun from people just fading Sherman. So I don't like this fight at all, really. I'm not impressed with either guy. It's just that lack of head movement from Sherman makes him likely to get knocked out. These guys are heavyweights. Um, Sakai's only 8,800. If he gets a knockout at 8,800 in the first round, then he he might be up on that GPP lineup that wins everything. So... He's my preferred play here. I just am hoping it goes to a decision. I don't want to be too invested in either one of these guys. Kind of hoping for a boring fight. Um, but Sakai's the pick. Hector Lombard's taking on Talos Latis. And just like the Evan Dunham fight, this is actually Talos Latis' retirement fight. But Hector Lombard, on paper, has lost six in a row. I mean, between you and me, he knocked out C.B. Dalloway in the first round. But uh, if, you, if you bet on Hector in that fight, you would have lost, unfortunately. So... I got to know, is he going to snap the skid here against the retiring latest? Um, man, this this could be a terrible fight um, if unless someone gets knocked out. This might be top two most boring fights on the card right behind that Alvi fight. Um, but Lombard has the higher ceiling. He definitely has that first-round knockout potential. So he's going to be my pick. Um, he'd be my preferred play as well, but... If you can make lineups fading this fight, I think that's probably the way to go. Uh, I'm really not interested in um, uh, what's his nuts. Uh, <laughs> why can't yeah, I get his name right now? Yeah, Talos. I'm not interested in him just because it is his retirement fight. He doesn't put up high scores as it is. Um, he's probably going to need to tire out Lombard and then finish him late if he's going to score highly at all. I just don't think that's likely. If he's going to win, it's probably going to be a boring decision. Um, so I'd rather not invest in him. If I am going to have either one of these guys, I want to have that first shot potential with Lombard. Uh, but this could be just a terrible fight. And last but not least, we got two 
super juiced favorites in Eliza Zaleski and Livia Hinata Souza. So I, I got to know, man. I mean, are these going to be two of the bigger favorites that you target? Or are you actually looking to potentially take a shot on the dogs here? Like, what's your opinion? Are these the mismatches that the lines indicate? Uh, yeah, I'm not trying to take a shot at the dogs here. Um, Sousa's really one of my favorite plays on the card if you can afford her. Just because Chambers is so bad, this is a setup fight for Sousa. And I think she gets it done in the first round. Um, so I like her a lot. She just really needs to get it done in the first round and probably score more than anybody else on the card. I just think she has a good shot at doing that. So I like her more than Dos Santos. Um, but I, I just think these are just two easy fights if you can – Lock one of them in your cash lineup. I think that's the way to start it. Um, my preferred play, though, of the two is definitely Souza, and she's one of my favorite plays on the card. So if you can take some dogs elsewhere and pay up for Souza, that's how I like to go. Um, but 9600 is a lot to ask, so if you can't afford her, I don't think it's a must. Well, Kyle, that's why you are the DraftKings guy for half the battles going down this Saturday. It's going to be a very exciting fight. Excuse me, it's going to be a very exciting card. The fans can follow you at Big Marley 3. They can hit you up for everything. And uh, NFL is going down this weekend too, Kyle. Yes, sir. Fight the football. I love it. Uh, everything's available. Uh, you can check out my Twitter. We've got football on bestfightpicks.com. Find everything else on my Twitter. Uh, let's make some money this weekend. Yes, sir, Kyle. We'll speak soon. All right, let's get it. And that's why Kyle Marley is the DraftKings guy for half the battle. Well, Shaq, now we got to talk about the fight to watch. And the fighter to watch. So what is the fight to watch for UFC Sao Paulo? My fight to watch is going to be Hector Lombard versus Talos Latis. You know, this is the last time we get to see Talos Latis. And, you know, Hector, I mean, I know he's on a 5-5 win streak, but I feel like the guy is still exciting, man. I feel like he still brings it. So uh, that's my fight to watch. Six-fight losing streak, you mean? Yeah, my bad. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, look, my fight to watch is going to be Alex Cowboy Oliveira versus Carlo Pedersoli Jr. I mean, I genuinely feel like these two are probably going to get the fight of the night bonus. I just feel like it's going to be a very brutal fight. I feel like it's going to be an absolute war. I feel like there's a chance someone gets knocked out, but there's also a chance it goes the full three-round distance. And, uh, you know, we see what kind of heart these two warriors have. So Alex Cowboy versus Carlo Pedersoli is my fight to watch. Well, Shaq, who is your fighter to watch for UFC Sao Paulo? My fighter to watch... It's going to be Eric Anders, man. You know, I feel like if he can get this win, you know, I feel like he can uh, not necessarily become like a major star or anything, but I feel like, you know, he's got the, the football thing going on. And I mean, uh, that would have been, you know, he can kind of almost, you know, start like an Anthony Smith type of run, you know, move up a weight class. And uh, now you're, you know, top 15 in that weight class because the winner of this fight definitely will be ranked. We know 205 is very thin for contenders. And I mean, the winner of this fight... uh you know, will be a new player in that division. So, you know, <clears throat> so Eric Anders is my fighter to watch. You know, I feel like uh, the company can get behind him if he wins. But, you know, if Thiago wins, I feel like they could do the same as well. Yeah, no doubt about it. And for me, my fighter to watch, look, I know this guy is almost a 10-1 to favorite, but my fighter to watch is Eliza Zaleski. You know, if UFC is not going to make them, if UFC is not going to make him their fighter to watch, I'm going to make him my fighter to watch because – I just feel like what I what I mentioned earlier on the show, the disrespect that this guy has to go through, buried second on the fight pass prelims, and you see the kind of performances that he consistently puts on, and he's fighting a known name. It's just uh, it's unbelievable, the disrespect. So if they're not going to tell you to watch him, I'm going to tell you to watch him. Eliza Zaleski is 100% a guy to watch in the UFC welterweight division, and uh, I really hope that not only do they renegotiate his contract, because what he's making is 
absolutely disgusting. But I hope they give him a fucking showcase. I hope they put him up on the main card. This guy should be regularly co-headlining events just because of how exciting he is, especially in Brazil. Build this guy into a star. So, Eliza Zaleski is my fighter to watch. Well, Shaq, it's going down tomorrow, this Saturday, UFC Sao Paulo. My boy, your boy, Eric Anders versus Thiago Majeta Santos. It's going to be a great fight. They can follow you at MMA Genius 05. They can follow me at Best Fight Picks, our Instagram, Best Fight Picks Official. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Stitcher. And uh, Shaq, until the next time, let's cash these bets.